God gave Moses specific instructions on how to set up the tabernacle. Now, this is fascinating. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we focus on the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 this year. We're talking from Exodus chapter 40, and in three minutes we'll be talking about that and teaching on it. It's going to be a good one. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey. All right, we're going to be taking a look at some of the symbolism that we see uh, being woven into the priestly garments. Ryan? Well, it seems that the ancient Israelites actually used some skins from sea animals as part of the tabernacle. So this is going to be the focus of my study today. Because how do you use sea animals in the middle of the desert? That's a really good question. We'll talk about that in about 20 minutes time. Janice? Exodus 14 through 40. I hope you've read it because there's going to be a fun Friday wrap-up question coming up. We're going to put Ryan and Corey on the spot, but you two at home. So get ready. Exodus 40, 1 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver and its base, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron, and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, and anoint him, and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons, and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 16. Exodus 37. 38, 39, and 44 chapters that we continue to read through as we go through the Bible in one year. It's very, very exciting. Now take out your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible guide, write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com 
and get a hold of yours. Thank you so much for responding to us and your donation. It's very important. Well, the English word for anoint is translated from the Hebrew word maza, meaning to smear, to paint, to spread a liquid. That's Strong's Hebrew lexicon H4886. This action of anointing is meant to set apart the common from the divine. When the priest anointed something or someone, it was set apart or consecrated from the normal use to make it ready for God's purposes. It seems we've all but lost the true meaning of anointing today, haven't we? To be set apart for the use of God is a serious commitment. We should handle the things of God and the things he anoints with great regard and care. And the tabernacle and its items were anointed and set apart for God and the people. Let's think carefully about our anointing and how we set apart the common from the divine in our everyday life. Now, I oftentimes people will come up to me and say, I'm anointed of God and I have a word for you. Well, okay. They're making a claim that God has anointed them. We need to pay attention. Maybe God did, maybe God didn't. His word will tell us. Pay attention to the Bible, to the word of God, because he clarifies the anointing of God. Now, we're talking about the anointing today from the Old Testament, from Exodus 40, 16 verses. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to see and read and hear what you have said to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said together, Amen and amen. Now, here's what Exodus 40 verse 1 says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put it in the or put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring it or bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Now, this is very specific. God gave Moses precise instructions on how to erect and arrange the tabernacle. We should learn to hear God and obey his word. We should learn to hear God and how to obey his word. I know so many people creatively have figured this and figured that. God likes this, God likes that, but they didn't check the word. Check the word. See what the word says. What does the Holy Spirit say? Because that's important, beloved. We need to keep that in mind, keep that in our hearts. That's very, very critical. Now, with that in mind, we move on to the next scripture, which says in Exodus 40, verse 7, And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of the meeting and the altar, and put water in it, you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil 
and anoint the tabernacle. Anoint the tabernacle. Set it apart. And all that is in it. And you shall hollow it in, or hollow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. This is fascinating, I'll tell you. Everything was set apart or anointed for the Lord's use in the tabernacle. When saved through Christ and anointed by God's Holy Spirit, we are useful and set apart for His service. We don't enjoy coming to Christ and giving our life to the Lord just because it's emotionally fulfilling. It might be. But it's important for us to understand that once we have done that, our life is set differently. We are moving in a different... We, it's like changing tracks. You know, you go from that track to that track, that track, to that track. We change our direction, beloved. Very important. So when we come to God and the Holy Spirit anoints us, we have to shift our direction. That's how we'll be understanding what the will of God is. Now, here's the last part of this, verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the, holy gar put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint or set apart him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me as priest for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. Very important. Now remember, Aaron and his sons were anointed or set apart and dedicated for God's service. They were set apart. Now, our life given in service to God is one of everlasting commitment, sealed with His Holy Spirit. Did you get that? <laughs> because a lot of people don't understand that. When we come to know Jesus Christ, it's not just an emotional catharsis. You know, it's not just we have this, you know, it's actually an encounter with God. God comes after our life and anoints us and changes us. Beloved, we are people who are pulled out and designed and designated to go in the will of God. And so our life begins to change. Now, I can tell you, I talked to so many people when pastoring, and they said, I just don't know. And, but when they finally said, I would always ask them one question, have you read the word of God? Have you prayed every day? Have you focused your life? Have you set in place things in your life? that weren't there before, like reading the Word of God and praying and studying and asking the Holy Spirit to come on you. This is very important. We need to do this on a daily basis. We don't just do this once in our life and we're good to go. We need to do this every day. 
so that we understand because as we get closer to the end of time, things are getting more and more critical. Believe me, trust me, more people now are persecuted than ever before. We need to make sure that we are set apart for the Lord. Welcome back to the program. Today we conclude the book of Exodus, and a lot of this book is dedicated to the building of the tabernacle. And one of the things that really catches my attention with these chapters is the repeated references to what seems to be the skins of sea animals. For example, Exodus chapter 35 verses 4 and 6 say, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather. Now notice that the Israelites used red ram skins as well as another durable leather. And some Bibles translate this leather material as badger skins, but as I looked into this a little bit more, I learned two things. First, the badger was an unclean animal. Now that's important to note, particularly for the Israelites. And second, the badger isn't native to the east. Okay, so if this durable leather wasn't that of a badger, then what was it from? Well, it's interesting. This particular leather seems to have belonged to a large aquatic mammal, supposedly the dugong. So with this in mind, I thought it would be kind of fun and interesting to do a study on some of the largest underwater mammals known to man, of which the dugong is one. Check it out. While the sea has been home to many monumentally massive fish and reptiles, the fossil record reveals that some of the very largest of the underwater life have actually been mammals. For instance, while many are familiar with the gentle seaweed grazing dugongs and manatees, endearingly referred to as cows of the sea, very few are aware that there were once monstrous versions of these animals. Consider Hydrodemolus gyges, or as it is more commonly referred to, stellar sea cow. It's named after the doctor and naturalist Wilhelm Steller, who in 1741 first discovered and observed these creatures in action before they went extinct. Steller was on board the ship of famous Danish explorer Vitus Bering, for whom the Bering Strait received its name, when they became shipwrecked on an island that now also bears Bering's name. Stranded for months, Steller had the rare opportunity to observe herds of these gigantic sea cows, which lived in the shallow waters surrounding the islands in the Bering Sea. Over the months, the doctor was able to record many details about these gentle and peaceful creatures. Though they had rather small heads, their bodies were massive. In fact, they could grow to lengths of up to 25 feet or more, and weigh up to more than 10 tons. Steller also noticed that this slow-moving beast of the sea seemed totally unafraid of people, as it would pay no attention to the boats that came right up to it. Another extinct marine animal of monstrous proportions was the snake-like Bacillosaurus. Though its name means king reptile, it was actually a mammal, and interestingly had many similarities to whales. 
For example, like whales and in fact all other marine mammals, Bacillosaurus gave birth to live young and suckled them with milk underwater. It's also believed that Bacillosaurus had a tail-like fluke or flipper, which could move up and down. Though similar to whales in many respects, it also had significant differences. One major difference was its very long snake-like body and relatively small head. Rivaling the sperm whale in length, Bacillosaurus could grow to be 65 feet long and weigh in at anywhere between 8 to 10 tons. Yet the most massive of all the marine mammals, and in fact the most massive animal in the entire world as far as we know, is Balaenoptera musculus, which is actually still alive today. Commonly known as the blue whale, this massive monster can reach lengths of up to 100 feet and weigh up to 200 tons. Its tongue alone weighs more than an elephant, and its heart is about the size of a compact automobile, weighing more than half a ton. It contains 10 tons of blood and is so massive that a small child could crawl through one of its major blood vessels. Yet the blue whale breaks more than just size records. For instance, it's the fastest growing animal on Earth, it migrates farther than any other, and is also the loudest, with a whistle that can reach 188 decibels. So the dugong is a real possibility for this durable leather that the Israelites used as part of the tabernacle. This, the fact that the dugong was native to the Red Sea also supports that idea. As a matter of fact, as one commentator points out, much of the raw materials that the Israelites donated for the tabernacle may have actually come from Egypt. Remember in Exodus 12 when they plundered the Egyptians? Well, they received from them articles of silver and gold and clothing. And also consider that one of the main materials used in the tabernacle was linen, and expertise for weaving such as fabric could have developed in Egypt, which was renowned for its fine linen. Yeah, very interesting uh, These when you start getting into some of this stuff. So it's fascinating. Okay, Corey, you're up. All right. Well, today we are going to be taking a look at some of the details given to us in the scriptures about the, the priestly garments. Now, there is a fruit that is incorporated in the decoration of these garments and also in the decoration of the tabernacle and the later Temple of Solomon as well. So let's take a look at that. In the ancient Near East, the pomegranate was a widely accepted symbol of fertility. This was due to the many seeds contained in each fruit. The pomegranate's potential for reproducing seems nearly unlimited, so standing as a symbol for fruitful potential, productivity, and abundance was quite appropriate. Its red, blood-like color may have also been a consideration, as blood is vital to life. In the Bible, the pomegranate was used as a clear symbol of abundance, potential abundance, and blessing. It appears in the list of fruits given to the Israelites to demonstrate the promised land's abundance. And the Hebrew word for pomegranate, Ramon, is incorporated into the names of some sites mentioned in the Bible, including Gath Ramon, meaning pomegranate wine press, and Hadad Ramon, which may have been a place of spiritual apostasy in the plain of Megiddo. The pomegranate was also used in Israel's religious life. The garment of the high priest had both a functional and decorative hem that included gold bells to announce his presence in the temple, intermingled with blue, purple, and red yarn pomegranates. The bells had a functional purpose, while the pomegranates must have had a decorative and symbolic purpose, perhaps representing the many blessings of God that came with worshiping him as he had prescribed. 
Later in Israel's history, the Temple of Solomon also incorporated pomegranate imagery, this time as a decorative element of the building itself. Many bronze pomegranates are said to have decorated the capitals, or tops, of the two entryway pillars into the temple. The pomegranate as a decorative and symbolic element is well known from the archaeology of the Near East. A variety of pomegranate-shaped objects have been found in cultic or religious contexts. Items like pomegranate-shaped vessels or pots, pomegranates from the center of bowls, pomegranates from votive offering rings, and small pomegranates that were meant to hang off various vessels. With the recent discovery of a clay-hanging pomegranate from the Israelite religious site of Shiloh, there is now archaeological evidence that the pomegranate was an important symbol in the Philistine, Canaanite, and early Israelite religions. It seems that pomegranates may also have been associated with women in ancient pop culture. This can be seen in the Bible by the use of pomegranates in Song of Songs. The pomegranate's association with abundance, fertility, and therefore beauty is used by the author to describe the beauty and attractiveness of the female character. This association with femininity is also seen in the historical record and has led some scholars to interpret ivory and bone sticks topped with small pomegranates as women's pins for clothing, coal sticks, which are ancient makeup applicators, and spindles involved in clothing production. So there we go. It's always really, I find it really interesting to be able to, to really zoom in and take a look at, at, you know, the tiny details that are in the scripture, because I just find it so interesting. Uh, you know, why would that have been important for the Israelites? Why did God want them to incorporate these things? Uh, and, you know, I think also when, when we're talking about the temple, when we're talking about the priests, you can't get away from the fact that it is very symbolic of the Garden of Eden, right? Repairing that relationship between God and mankind, where where the symbolism is, you know, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, this place where they could commune with God. And, and then they got humanity kicked out of that so that the separation between the presence of God and humanity happened. Well, now here in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there's this, you know, this, this coming back together of the presence of God symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant and the high priest going in there. So it makes sense why we would have imagery that brings in this lush garden-like atmosphere. Yeah, it really is interesting. And, uh, you know, when you when you think about the detail in Scripture, you know, you we begin to read about the loops they made to put the curtains together, the tabernacle and all that. And you realize, wow, that's a lot of detail mm -hmm. for covering that culture. And uh, it's fascinating. Absolutely amazing. Okay. Weekend. Weekend show. <laughs> the weekend show, yes. Okay, my husband and I do, uh, the, we call it the weekend show. Uh, and basically, we take our assigned reading for that week from Monday to Sunday. Uh, and uh, we answer your questions that you've sent us and viewers have sent us in questions about that particular area of scripture. We take a look at that and also some like heavy hitting issues that come up as we're reading the scripture. We take time to answer, uh, discuss and answer questions about those as well. I also do a 10 minute recap. So if you have fallen behind in your reading or you just want to test your knowledge to see if you've retained what you've read, because we go through it really quickly. Uh, both of those things you can find uh, on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko, and they're posted every Friday. Yeah, and I'm really proud of you and Ryan for doing the work that you're doing and expanding and 
the ministry continues to grow because of your work. So thank you so much. And your husband is doing a great job. And so that's just absolutely stunning and very good. And Jasmine works on all of our Jasmine's working on, I mean, like you know, there's it's so really much something. so going on. Yeah. A lot behind the scenes. There's, there's, and, and, and Brandon. Uh, is in the control room right now, uh, directing all of this and putting all this together. He's great too. So he and joins me. All the me. grandchildren are on the other side of the wall. So if you ever <laughs> hear right. banging a of, or uh, a little yell here and there, that's because the grand they're over there. They're, you know, <laughs> we've got a room for them. But anyway, with people, it's in a it, family but, affair, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, the ministry. Yes, and- this ministry is a family affair because <laughs> God sets us in families. Anyway, uh, the question. Question. Mm-hmm. All right, so. It's going to be anywhere from Exodus chapter 14 through to 40. This is our reading that we have been assigned this last week. So here is the question. After letting the Israelites go, Pharaoh had a change of heart. And the Bible says he made his chariot and took his people with him. And he also took choice chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. How many choice chariots did he take? Did he take 400? Did he take 500? Or did he take 600 chariots? That is the question that you and Ryan and Corey need to answer. I'm looking for 400, 500, or 600 choice chariots. Oh, no. Did Pharaoh take with him? They're what? in this conflict. We're going to be honest. We, we don't know we don't off know. the top of our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this I, is not an easy question. No. He had to have taken a lot. Yeah. I mean, my gut said 500, but I'm thinking now probably six. I know. I, at first, when I heard it, I was like, let's just go for the highest number because he took he took as much as he could. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with 600. What do you think? Yeah. going to do six? Okay. Well, I don't know what you decided to do at home, but here is the right answer. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it from Exodus 14, verses 6 and 7. Here's the verse. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots. And then it adds, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. So he took the choice ones. If you guessed 600, you're absolutely right. Good for you. And if not, that's okay. Now you know the answer. The program is called Beyond the Call, and we've done it with testimonies of people. We're very excited about it. You can get a hold of that by going to YouTube and checking out Pastor Rod Hembry. Pastor Rod Hembry. Look for it, and uh, you can watch the program. Very, very good. It's also on our website. Now, today we pray this way. Lord, I pray that the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, would take over my mind. Help me to be good with you.